can't use that as the opening. No. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Friday, November the 29th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Black Friday Failure, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and NS Victim. Our third regular co-host, Molly Quell, isn't with us today because she's back home in the US for the annual turkey genocide. Yes. So, happy late Thanksgiving to Molly. Yes, and, uh, yes, indeed. I hope your turkey was suitably stuffed. I saw it. <laughs> they, they, they were I'm sending sure. it off into space, weren't they? We saw a picture. What did they do? Well, they, they they seem to have got it on some kind of outdoor barbecue contraption. Oh, Molly? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw the pictures, yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 the food, there was an incredible amount of food on the table. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I was a little bit jealous. I also saw a video of, because there's a tradition that the president sort of pardons two does, turkeys yeah. every year, yeah. uh, and the day before they get pardoned, they are put in a hotel. And I was very uh, disappointed that Trump yeah. didn't put these turkeys in a Trump hotel. Well, I thought he would have been bound to do that. Yeah, I yeah. thought he... he uh, I, I kind of expected chance. that. Yeah, he yeah. definitely missed a chance there. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, uh, I was a little bit disappointed with the president there. Yeah. But you are a... Them. Black Friday failure. What's that about? Well, I was I always try to on Black Friday um, keep by the alternative tradition of buy nothing day. So you, you, <laughs> you don't spend, which means you don't spend any money on Black Friday. But no. I was ill yesterday, so um, oh. I wanted to go to the supermarket yesterday and get my groceries, but I couldn't, so I had to do it this morning. So I've already spent money today, so I failed on, fr- on Black Friday. Yeah, uh, I failed in my virtuous yes. mission not to spend uh, money on Black bad. Friday. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, tell us about your nightmare ride home last it, night. Then literally was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I a was, nightmare in Rotterdam. Yeah, nightmare in Rotterdam. Yeah, I was in uh, in Brabant yesterday evening, and uh, I wanted to go home late at night. Uh, initially, the plan was to uh, stay and sleep there at my friend's place, but um, there was someone who was driving home, and he was going to pass the train station anyway. So, and I wanted to go home anyway. So, I uh, 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 the plan was to just uh, let this person drop me off on the train station, and then take the train back to Delft. It wasn't the last train; it was the second last train. So, I thought there is. Mm much room for uh, stuff to go wrong here. Yeah. Uh, but the, the the first train got delayed five minutes before it was supposed to arrive. Then uh, the last train I was on, uh, all of a the sudden, um, there was a freight train in front of it, yeah. so I had to slow down, meaning that I lost my connection in Rotterdam Central Station, which was, in fact, the last train yeah. to Delft. Um, they arranged some sort of alternative uh, mo- transportation. They arranged yeah. a bus, but it wasn't going to be arriving very soon I yeah. have to wait more than an hour on the train station in Rotterdam in the middle of the night for this yes. bus um, so the only people you were in the, apart from you in the train station this time of night were kind of the, uh, very drunk people yeah. uh, uh, some homeless people yeah. uh uh, security officers who were trying to uh, scare away the homeless people. Um, it was very fun. And also mm. the question was, of course, is this go- bus going to arrive? Because there was no NS personnel on the train station anymore. I could yeah. go and ask, and uh, I wasn't even sure where the bus was going to pick me up. Uh, it did arrive, though, on time, so shout out to the bus driver, mm-hmm. except that this person wasn't the best driver yeah. ever. He was... Um, yeah, <laughs> he wanted to go home. I think. That's Obviously, he was, so he was in a hurry. He was in a hurry. It was. It was. I was in the front of the bus and it was really. <laughs> on, it, it. It was terrible. I was on a bus once, uh, a double-decker bus in in Rome, yeah. and the, the traffic in Rome is very. Uh, Hect- yeah, very mad, hectic, basically. very yeah. mad. Yeah. And if you are sitting in front of a, 
uh, you know, on the top level of a of a double decker bus, and you yeah. see all this traffic mm-hmm. in front of you. It's it's really scary. But this was even more scary. This <laughs> this person was just wow, even worse than yeah, Italian traffic. Yeah, and there was no traffic, other traffic on yeah. the road. So, so it was, was just him. It yeah. was really, it was very. Yeah, it was, so it was do, an do, do interesting you, experience. Do you think that some bus driver just got phoned up while he was sitting in the pub? <laughs> I'm and very sure. We've got an emergency here, and there's <laughs> no one else. No, there, there <laughs> needs to be a podcast recorded tomorrow. We need someone. Yeah. yeah. So um, go home. Yeah. So I was at home at 3 a.m. in the right. morning. So I'm very grumpy. So you've right not now. had an awful lot of sleep. No. So look, you are this week's Molly. I'm this week's Molly. Yeah. But but fortunately for me, I have a lot of coffee here in front. Excellent. So, uh, hopefully, this podcast will. Uh, I, w- I won't fall asleep during the podcast. <laughs> okay. So, without further ado, uh, tell us about the Ophef of the week. This week, Ophef was caused by supermarket chain Albert Heijn. The supermarket's uh, employers will get a new uni- uniform in the near future, and they came up with a very creative way mm. to assess their staff's clothing size. Employers in Nijmegen were asked to install a special app on their phone, onto which they had to upload a photo of themselves in underwear. Mm. The app then would determine their clothing size and would send it to Albert Heijn, and then in turn they would send the correct uh, uh, uniforms. But after several employers complained about this very ridiculous way uh, of determining (laughs) your clothing size, they were told by their managers that using this app was compulsory. NSA newspaper wrote about it, and this of course caused a lot of ophef. Albert Heijn responded uh, that using the app wasn't compulsory at all, and that it was all a huge misunderstanding. And in response to the ophef, the uh, supermarket uh, decided to scrap the entire pilot, and would in the future just ask their employees what their closing <laughs> size are. I just wonder why they hadn't thought of that in the first place. Yes, <laughs> I just I, th- I think they just wanted to be very modern. Or, yeah. or Elon Musk uh, developed this app, and they just wanted probably. to... Probably. You just need to find a use for it somehow. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. 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 yeah, but like I say, they probably wanted to look very sort of slick and cool and with it. Yeah, and then, yeah. But they end up just uh, gigantically intruding on their employees' privacy, and yeah. no one stopped to think yes, because this might be a problem. Be, because they, <laughs> if, if all their, their employees would send their photos of themselves yeah. in underwear, they what would happens have this, to these pictures? Yeah, they would yeah. have this huge database of <laughs> their employees in underwear. In, yeah. <laughs> That's, it's just... Uh, no, it's quite obviously the wrong thing to do. Yeah. And, but that wasn't the only supermarket OPEF this week, right? No. No. Uh, very fresh OPEF, as a matter of fact, because this morning um, uh, uh, there was some OPEF about the mm-hmm. jumbo supermarkets. They have a policy where customers will get their groceries for free if they are the fourth in line waiting for a register. Mm. Um, this leads to very interesting situations <laughs> sometimes on the supermarket. Yeah. People are waiting for... Uh, uh, the, the queue to grow yeah. and then uh, run. But it's a really complicated system because it only counts if there isn't a free cash cash point. And, yes. to, and also, they have to be. You have to make sure that none of the queues have. You know, you're not able to get in another queue where there's fewer people waiting. So they have to stand there and count all the queues yeah. in the supermarket before they decide whether you can get your groceries for free. So it sounds really <laughs> simple, but it's yeah. very complicated. And also on days like the day before Christmas and stuff like that, this doesn't count. So uh, yeah. they, they well, can no, arbitrarily the just decide. Yeah, because no, all the till today. points are occupied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 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 people who are on the register, they have to inform their managers uh, to to say, oh, the queue is uh, building up. We need someone else. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. The, one of the managers in the supermarket in Leiden had notified their staff that from now on, the cost of these free groceries will have to be paid by 
the stuff themselves. Mm. A photo of the note um, went viral, and in response, the supermarket managers apologized and said they would uh, should never have communicated uh, this in this way. That we only meant it as a wake-up call, they said. And uh, they also <laughs> said they feel like Marco <laughs> von Buster. We make one tiny mistake, and we are portrayed as monsters. Yeah, no. So once more, we say we'll come on to Marco von Buster later. But yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, more he did wrong. Cliffhanger but, uh, little cliffhanger. But yeah, uh, yeah, not not very uh, good uh, look for Jimbo. <laughs> This week, Mark Rutter faced a grilling in Parliament over the deaths of 70 civilians in a bombing raid in Iraq. We'll also explain how a military war hero was caught with his trousers down, why Dutch people are getting even bigger, and why, if you own a cat, you're probably breaking the law. After the break, we'll examine the suspicious death of a Dutch teenager in Malaysia and her family's ongoing efforts to secure justice. The deaths of 70 civilians in a bombing raid in Iraq in 2015 continues to be a thorn in the side of the Third Hukuta Cabinet. On Wednesday night, the Prime Minister and Defence Minister Anke Bielefeldt faced a grilling in Parliament on why the details of the bombing only came out a month ago, four years after the incident happened. Hukuta denied that the fatalities had been covered up to avoid jeopardising the decision to extend the mission in June 2015. That was the same month when the then Defence Minister, Janine Hennis, wrote in a letter to Parliament that Dutch military forces had not been involved in any civilian deaths. Rutter said he couldn't remember when he was first told about the bombing, but conceded that he'd been constitutionally aware from May 2016, when the steering group on missions and operations discussed the issue. When was the last time you were, so, were, you were aware of something constitutionally? Well, I know, it happens to me all the time. You know, I was quite constitutionally aware of um, the, the, the stomach bug I had yesterday, but let's not let's pass over that. Uh, yeah, but the, that was the point when his department were informed, and therefore he was kind of responsible. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Civil servants from Gritter's department attended the meeting. Opposition MPs accused ministers of, quote, collective amnesia and asked why a thorough investigation had never been carried out. However, motions of no confidence in Bielefeld and Rutter were both voted down. So yeah, it wasn't no the first time that uh, Rutte had this uh, collective am- amnesia. Or no, this indeed. Selective amnesia. Yeah, selective amnesia. In this, yeah, um, but it was collective amnesia because he and Hennis yeah. both seemed to not remember having this meeting. Previously, Rutte um, claimed not to remember whether he'd been sent a memo uh, about the dividend belasting from the head of Shell. Yeah. Didn't he? And, he, and, and he also and didn't And then he remember. said his official SMSs got deleted yeah. periodically, <laughs> so he couldn't go back and check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredibly convenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens yeah. all the time with yeah. Rutte. Was in, was, I thought there was a great Rutte a line in this debate when he said um, he was challenged on this on the fact he couldn't remember and he said uh, oh well I can't fake a memory I don't have which is, <laughs> is a great way a way of turning things around wasn't it? it really is you know, he was yeah, accused yeah. of selectively forgetting things he said oh, well you can't call me you can't accuse me of selectively forgetting if I never had the memory in the first place yeah yeah and you can never really <laughs> prove yeah you can only prove if he <laughs> knew about it if he actually said it somewhere in a, in a, in a yeah. memo or something but yeah, yeah all these memos seem to disappear as well disappear. So, yeah yeah yeah, but it's really serious. I think it's a it's a yeah. really serious uh, 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 problem here. And um, yeah, Rutte is uh, directly involved. He can't really say this was a different cabinet. No, he was the head of no, the exactly. He was the prime minister happened. at the yeah. time, even though it's yeah, another defence minister. But yeah. uh, I think, but I kind of felt in the end that it was a bit of an anticlimax this debate because um, he wasn't really ever in trouble I didn't think you know Ritter, no. it kind of showed really how accomplished Ritter's become in handling these difficult situations he, he can, and yeah. the opposition didn't really lay a glove on him because I think um, you know they were all kind of, um, partly because um, I think a lot of the, the focus in the debate 
shifted, and I thought it was interesting that uh, it was very much on whether or not they'd deliberately covered this up because they had to, just had to make the decision in the summer of 2015 and whether they extended the mission in Iraq and Syria. Yeah. And obviously civilian casualties, which has been discussed before, is a very sensitive issue for Dutch politics because of Srebrenica. If there'd been any hint of that, it might have made it complicated. But you know that was one um, issue. But Ritt was able to quite that that kind of you know sort of a very direct. Um, uh, line or cover-up is quite hard to substantiate and quite easy to knock back and what yeah. he did and then he came out with this line that he had been constitutionally uh, aware from May 2016 and that looked like a fairly you know th- that was quite a good defence on the conspiracy point but it still left all kinds of questions open like if he knew in May 2016 why did we not why did the, the parliament not find out until October 2019 yeah and also by, written, by, by a news report and only because it came out in the media yeah. And also, you know, the fact that um, there hadn't been any kind of proper investigation by the military or by the uh, by the Justice Department or by the Prosecution Service, so that we still don't know actually yeah. how many people died in I that just, bombing. I in just really Hrugia. cannot. Yeah. Uh, these are none of these were really questions that the opposition went into because yeah. they were distracted by this sort of conspiracy theory that Baudet came up with. And then Jesse Claver kind of fell in behind it, and it kind of let Rutte off the hook. So actually, the opposition did yeah. the best defense for uh, for yeah. Mark Rutte here. Yeah. yeah. But I I really cannot imagine that indeed in the light of Srebrenica and uh, the civilian casualties that there is a bombing. There are clear indications from the beginning that there will be a lot of collateral damage because you know uh, the explosion. Uh, it, it it was a it was a weapon factory that was bombed. Yes. And the explosion was much larger than uh, than, than they ex- uh, uh, anticipated. So that meant that there was um, uh, there was a, a huge possibility that there were a lot of casualties here. Yeah. That is immediately reported by the pilot to mission control. Yes. And they, you know, they they know the history of the of the Dutch military. They know about Srebrenica. They know how sensitive that is. So mm-hmm. they immediately communicate that with the defense ministry. Yeah. And the defense ministry hears about this. The minister hears about this, and this person also don't think, oh, we should inform the prime minister, who is ultimately responsible yes. for the entire... Uh, I just can't really see no. that happening. So and this, this defense of Hennis and Rutter, that uh, Hennis had sort of mentioned it informally in a you know, in a chat with Rutter. Not in an astonishing. Did they just go for coffee? Were they having drinks on Friday afternoon? And well, that's, that's, that's by the way, Mark, seventy people died in Iraq. Well, I don't, I, I don't know how these official communications go, but yeah. I, I, but the point is, it wasn't an official communication, was it? According to this account, what no. Think, yeah, surely there should be some kind of top-level meeting about this once it became evident yeah. that there was a strong possibility that civilians had died. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> indeed, and um, yeah, but but Hannes says he sort of casually mentioned it, and not in a yeah. very alarmistic way. If that is indeed the case, then uh, yeah, Rutte cannot, I think, be blamed. Uh, constitutionally, he can be blamed, of course, but mm. uh, politically, possibly not. Um, but I just don't understand why, how it's possible that someone would mention this in this such a casual way. I just, no. I think this will be a really big problem uh, for for Mark Rutte because yeah. uh, journalists are, of course, um, are starting to dig on this. And uh, yeah. uh, if some more damaging information will come out, then yeah, this I I don't see how Rutte can can really survive this uh, this. Um yeah, well, I don't know if uh, it's going to. I think Rutte might be able to protect himself. I think Ank Bielefeld is uh, may. Uh, yeah, again, we discussed this. I think on a previous podcast, uh, it may it may be difficult for her to hang on to her job. Ultimately, she's talked about going out now to Hervija, hmm. but what are you going to find out now, four years after the event? I'm not sure. Um, and any the other things, why, why there wasn't an investigation? Also, two. Um, um, I think 
uh, one of the opposition's problems, of course, is that two Labour ministers were implicated in this, which is Bert Gunders, who was foreign secretary yeah. minister, and uh, Liliana Pluman, who was international development minister. And who's now so, an so, MP. So, yeah, so who's still an MP. So um, Labour uh, couldn't really go in too hard on this. But there are some questions about, you know, um, to ask what I think about, you know, were you concerned that if this came out in 2015 or 2016, when you knew about it, that it might have, you know, brought down your cabinet then? Because yeah. at that point, the, Labour, the, the, the Liberal Labour cabinet was in a bit of trouble. It was clear Labour would get hit really hard. Yeah. If a Labour minister had walked out of the cabinet at that point, you know, that could have been disaster for Greta's cabinet. So yeah. was that an issue? And also, and also talking about the uh, motion of uh, no confidence in general, because the, uh, we've seen in the past that um, opposition leaders, and particularly Geert Wilders, they have been uh, putting these motions of no confidence on the, uh, to the vote on so many occasions mm. that sort of the, the impact and the value of a motion of no confidence is completely gone. It's diminished. It's yeah. diminished, yeah. it's devaluated. There, yes, there I would agree. There is an inflation of, of, of the meaning of motion of no confidence. So, yeah, I think... Um, it used to be a very, very, very um, uh, 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 meaningful mm-hmm. um, uh, signal from the opposition to the cabinet if yeah. a motion of no confidence was put to the vote at all. Yeah. And now we sh- it's just another motion of no confidence. So it's, yeah. it's really a shame that uh, the effect of this uh, tool, the ultimate tool that mm-hmm. Parliament has, um, yeah, is, is so diminished, I think. Yeah, the, the worth of it ultimately is diminished. And perhaps... Um, it was a mistake to put in motions of co- it was a socialist party put the motions in uh, to put the motion of co- confidence in the defence minister and the voter, I don't know and the whole cabinet actually there's a, yeah and the whole three cabinet yeah, yeah 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 I think if if a motion of no confidence to the prime minister is accepted then probably the whole cabinet will fall but yeah, uh, yeah you can only also um, uh, uh, only name one single minister yeah. uh, of course and that not necessarily has implications yeah. for the cabinet as a whole. Yeah, but I think this story is not going to go away. There's uh, more no, to come out. No, definitely. There's think. more to come out. Yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, Ritter's out of the woods yet, and, so, and by default, certainly is not. Indeed. A junior finance minister, Menno Snell, misled the Tweede Kamer about the exact number of victims of the benefit affair. Not to... Uh, not be confused with uh, the bonnetis affair. No, the no. benefit affair. Yes. Um, this is uh, according to ministerial documents and memos that were uncovered by RTL News and Trouw earlier this week. Uh, the documents, uh, which include evaluation reports from 2015, were not shared with Parliament, despite frequent requests to do so. The report showed that efforts by the finance ministry to prevent fraud completely ran out of hand. Hundreds of parents were unjustly accused of fraud and the ministry cut off their child benefits and forced them to pay the money Mm. back. As a result, many parents plunged into financial problems and some were even forced to sell their homes. Mm. The affair became public when the ministry scrapped the benefits of a uh, fostering agency in Eindhoven earlier this year. Uh, This victimized uh, 300 parents and this sort of um, unleashed a scandal, which is a very, very, very terrible scandal. It has been an awful thing for a lot of people. I think they're now finding out that there was a lot more people affected by this. Maybe not everyone had to sell their homes, but, you know, they had to pay back these sums of money and uh, I know having received um, um, family benefits from the Dutch state they, if, 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 you, if you're told to pay back the money often they can just take it out of your bank account yeah. you know without, yeah. because you obviously have your bank details to pay the money in so they can then take it out again and it can be if you haven't got the money to pay it back 
that leaves you in a very very awkward situation. Yeah, um, and and it has to do with the with the system how how it works in the Netherlands. Yeah. You apply for 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 benefits yeah. and they will pay you in they advance. They pay up front. Yes. Um, and then later on in the year they will check if you are actually eligible for these benefits, yeah. and if not, then you have to pay it back. And if so, then they keep paying you. Yeah. And there was a scandal uh, a couple of years ago with uh, people from Bulgaria and Romania who would apply for benefits in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. uh, got all their money moved back to uh, Bulgaria, kept being paid uh, these yeah. benefits, uh, and then at the mo- at at a certain point of time, the, the Belastingdienst uh, would find out that they yeah. were not living in the Netherlands anymore, but then they couldn't return the money anymore no, they couldn't because it the was uh, not on a, on a Dutch bank account. Yeah. So this led to a huge scandal and also um, as efforts by the Belastingdienst and uh, the Ministry of Finance to sort of uh, tackle this fraud. Mm. And uh, but, but in these efforts, they really... Uh, yeah, that was the other thing. It was that they presumed fraud on the part of uh, these parents on a very seemingly on a very low level, and then yeah. they simply claim the money back from them before they've done any proper investigation or even without doing it. Yeah, yeah. And then the parents really had to campaign to show that they weren't being fraudulent and they were actually eligible for the money and to claim it back. By which point, of course, they'd they'd lost their houses. And, yeah. uh, and it's only now that Menel Snell has got to grips with the case and has said he will. Yeah, kind of guardedly, he will compensate these families, but um, we're still finding out how many people are involved. We don't know how much compensation yeah, they'll thousands get. Thousands of people are involved. And seemingly yeah. thousands and, of people um, are involved. The, yeah. and there was a commission uh, a couple of weeks ago, a commission by uh, uh, Pieter and Donner, and they said, um, uh, they concluded indeed that uh, the, the ministry was sort of too harshly determined mm-hmm. if there was uh, a, a fraud or anything else. and. Uh, they they sort of told the the ministry to compensate these people, but they, you can only be compensated if you actually applied for the benefits. But at a certain point of time, when 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 you get denied two or three years in a row these benefits, and you stop applying for it, even though you you yeah. have the right to it. Yeah. So the people who stopped applying for it, um, requesting these benefits, they will not be compensated because yeah. they haven't requested it. So yes. Yeah. It's it's a really terrible situation and. Uh, it's, there were also memos leaked by um, uh, 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 officials of the mm. Blossing Deans who sort of they they sort of talked about um, determining if there was uh, a, a fraud or not um, uh, in a very joking jo- yeah they, yeah they talked about very, very jokingly, manner, yeah uh, um, oh we have another one oh uh, the uh, yeah. uh, class comes early this year it, it's really awful I yeah the, the one the one I heard about was that there was a there was a fraud team set up to deal with this specifically and they talked about uh, the fifth of December is Afpakizafond yeah so instead of Pakizafond when you get your presents it's when you Afpak and taking the money away yeah it was that and, uh, and, yeah. uh, and the memos went around with this kind of, in this kind of language it's and it's kind of it's kind of the yeah the, the insensitivity. Of it, and you think that these yeah. are the people who are deciding whether or not families who are living, you know, literally from hand to mouth, um, uh, whether they get their benefit money or not. And and, and they yeah. were seem to be very happy if they took uh, took some families' money uh, away yeah. from them. Yeah. And now there are indications that they sort of deliberately did that, even though there were no indications that were actually yeah. uh, fraudulent or anything. So yeah, it's it, I I just feel really sick about this. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's it kind of it's an awful. illustration of the way kind of bureaucracy sort of desensitizes people, isn't it? Yeah. When you're just dealing with people as figures on a screen, you don't think about the consequences no. for no. actual families and their children. So uh, yeah, Menno Snell, he promised uh, he, he's now the junior minister who is in charge of this, and he uh, promised on multiple occasions that uh, he will uh, look into it and he will prove the situation. But every time he promises this, a week later there's new 
uh, information emerging yeah. that the, yeah. the, the the problems are even more severe than we initially thought. So, yeah, uh, I, I think Manor Snell will uh, there will be will be a debate next week, and he will really have a rough time. Yeah, um, he's going to have to get this. his work cut out too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Especially yeah. because, uh, for example, MP um, Peter Omzicht of the CDR yes. who really dug into this problem. Uh, yeah, he he's one of the I think one of the best MPs that we have yeah. in the Netherlands, and he um, uh, yeah he will not. Uh, he will, he will, he will question the. He'll the be very, yeah, he's very, very tenacious. He doesn't let yeah. go once he's got his teeth into a thing. And of course, he's a coalition MP, so that yeah. makes it harder for, you know, makes it increase the risk that Snell will lose the support of a majority of MPs. Mm. I have to say as well, you know, Omsic has done a lot of good work on this. So too is the Socialist Party. They set up a kind of melt print and got people to yeah. to supply, I mean, to send in their uh, families, send in their stories of what happened to them, and collected a lot of data. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, yeah. Hopefully, good work. hopefully for these families, that it will be resolved very soon. But it's just a very awful, awful. Yeah. Just when you thought it was safe to walk under a low bridge comes the news that Dutch people are getting taller. The average man is now 1m81, that's 3.8 centimetres more than in 1981, and weighs 85 kilos, which is 2.3 kilos heavier. And the gap between men and women is growing. Women are now 1m67 on average, that seems unusually short, uh, which is 1.5cm taller than they were nearly 40 years ago. But their weight has gone up by more, by 4.7 kilos. The statistics agency, CBS, also found that people living in in the northern provinces of Friesland and Groningen are 3cm taller than residents of Limburg and Brabant. Oh while people in Drenthe and Flevoland were most likely to be overweight. <laughs> well, I don't think there are surprises that the, the people from Friesland and Groningen yeah. are the tallest here. Do you think that's just because they live more on uh, on beef than people in Brabant live on pork? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that might be it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I think in Friesland they have more cows. So they have more cows, more they drink more milk. milk yeah. Because so yeah. dairy products is supposed to be one of the reasons, isn't it? Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah, the dairy and, diet. Yeah, the yeah. Netherlands is perfect for uh, cows and dairy products. So yeah, that's uh, that's one of the reasons why we're so tall. Um, is there are there any reasons given for this trend? Uh, yeah, well they have noticed that the growth rate's been flattening off since the mid 90s, and that's put down to a combination of migration because people who move from other countries often oh, come from places so where they're keeping us down. People are shorter. Yeah, oh, have, don't tell Cheryl, but that is. <laughs> but also because the population is aging, and as you get older, um, much older, you start to ah. lose height. Yeah. Uh, however, our waistlines are continuing to expand. Uh, more than half of people in Drenthe and Flevoland are overweight. Uh, also, we're saying in 1914, the Dutch were one of the shortest nations. Oh, Europe. really? Back then, the average Dutchman was just 169. Oh. Might, it might explain all those narrow staircases. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, probably a very good uh, explanation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we were the smallest in 1914, yeah. and then just overtook everybody. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Decorated war hero Marco Kroon had to appear in court again this week. This time, he was accused of assaulting a police officer in March this year during carnival in Den Bosch. Kroon, who was awarded the uh, Military Williams Order, the highest military medal in the Netherlands, was urinating in public when he was approached by three officers who told him this wasn't allowed. Yeah, we should say he wasn't uh, awarded the Military Williams Order for urinating. No, 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 no. Uh, he did something else. Yeah. A police claim Kroon then waved his penis at the officers in a provocative way, after which the officers decided to arrest him. But during this arrest, the decorated war hero struck one of the officers with a headbutt. Is this the... Uh, the word for kopstoot. I, yes, I, I yes. looked it up on Wikipedia, but yeah, headbutt uh, is the right word. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so for that assault, he had to appear in court uh, this week. Yes, and uh, that brought out some um, very interesting details, <laughs> did it not? It did, it did. Cohn um, uh, denied he waved his penis at the officers. He claimed he was simply shaking it off because he was yeah, urinating. Yeah, he finished urinating. Yeah, he added he couldn't have waved his penis because he was wearing a frog <laughs> costume uh, during the incident. And he showed that the, 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 the frog costume was up to its waist, so he had to pull it down very... Right. Uh, uh, yeah, he had to pull it down, so yeah. he could never have waved his, his penis at them. He showed it I like the idea that he would have actually demonstrated that. In, yeah, he in stood court. up and he showed how he was uh, standing while he was urinating. He had, he, he had to stand that way because he was wearing this frog costume. Did he costume. have the frog costume on? No, 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 unfortunately not. No. <laughs> he should have done. Yeah, ex- indeed, yeah, that's what I <laughs> he said. He probably would have got off. He has very bad, very, very bad lawyers, yeah. Cohen yeah. uh, also said that he had to urinate every 30 minutes due to a medical condition. That sounds mm. very much like uh, Prince Andrew. Mm. Uh, and that he was forced to do it outside because the cafes had denied him to, to go to the their bathrooms. Yeah. The headbutt incident was filmed by one of the officer's body cams and the video uh, was shown in court as well. Cohen denied it was a headbutt and that the head movement movement was a reflex because of the pain caused by the <laughs> handcuffs. Uh, he also said that if this was supposed to be a headbutt then I'd better resign as a soldier. You know what they're going to have to do? They're going to have to start introducing VAR at Carnival. <laughs> <laughs> so they can decide on the spot whether a headbutt was actually a headbutt or a deliberate yeah, yeah, headbutt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, someone incised can determine that. <laughs> yeah, that would be really good, yeah. Yeah, and this isn't the first time that Michael Cohen has been in trouble, is it? No, yeah, not, not at all. Hero. No, no. Uh, there were an, a number of incidents in the past. Yeah. Uh, these all led to scandals, of course, because of his uh, distinction. In 2011, he was accused of illegal possession of cocaine and a weapon. Uh, this court case revolved around a number of Cohen's chest hairs, which uh, supposedly contains traces of cocaine. Uh, he was acquitted from the drug charges but was convicted for the illegal weapons. In 2018, the Ministry of Defense lost an, launched an investigation after Krohn, uh, after he had written his biography, and uh, in it he said that he killed an Iraqi man in 2007. Krohn claimed he was kidnapped in an ambush and he was tortured and raped by this man. He then later saw him walking on the streets after his uh, after he was released, and uh, then Krohn killed him as a sort of revenge. Yeah. So that was very remarkable. That was very controversial. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and he didn't tell his superiors at the time. And no. He came out later. Yeah. So you got disciplined for that as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was very strange. So what's going to happen if Krohn is convicted for this incident of uh, penis waving uh, and headbutting? <laughs> and headbutting. <laughs> the prosecutor demanded a 100-hour community service, and if the judge agrees, then Krohn will probably lose his job at the army. Soldiers are allowed to have a criminal record, but only up to a mm. point. The limit is a 40-hour community service and a fine of 1,000 euros. Krohn was already fined 750 euros for the possession of this illegal taser, so he was already close to the limit. Yeah, um, and is there any danger that he'll be stripped of his decoration as well? Uh, no, no, there won't be uh, any danger for that, because the, the, the thing he did in Iraq for which he earned it, yeah. that still stands. Yes. But yeah, uh, um, I think the ministry here really shot themselves in the foot because yeah. they needed a sort of PR stunt, so they decided to award this medal, which hadn't been awarded for decades, mm. to Marco Krohn for... Uh, yeah, he did some very hero- heroic stuff. With, so yes. In, in he really deserved it, but... Um, they should have checked uh, which kind of person they were yeah, giving it to. Yeah, yeah, it's kind um, of on this sort of backfired on them. Yeah, 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 a bit. Ajax need just a point from their final group game to qualify for the last 16 of the Champions League for the second year in a row. The Amsterdammers dispatched French slide Lille 2-0 on Wednesday night. Hakim Ziyech scored the opener inside two minutes. That's the fastest Champions League goal this season. And then turned provider for Quincy Promise with a looping cross after 59 minutes. 
Their last match is against Valencia on December the 10th. In the Europa League, Asset Alkmaar are going through after scoring two late goals to draw at home to Partizan Belgrade. Feyenoord still have a chance after they also drew to all at home to Glasgow Rangers, but PSV Eindhoven are out after they were hammered 4-0 by Sporting Portugal in Lisbon. Okay, and is the, was there any more fallout from the recent racism saga? Yes, quite a bit. Um, oh. In fact, uh, Mark Rutter was uh, at the Cannes Fee Bay on uh, Thursday to highlight the issue. Um, oh. They've put forward a practice measures that they want to finalise by the end of January, which could include using facial recognition cameras in football stadiums to pick out supporters who, uh, who uh, display racist behaviour, oh. and to extend the maximum stadium ban from five years to ten, they're also talking oh. about possibly uh, docking points from clubs um, who, uh, whose fans Yeah, but are, I don't think that, that is a good solution because then that will only emphasize and stir up the feeling of us against them, right? So Well, that's a point, but it also maybe means the clubs really have to take responsibility and kick these people out. It might be that, I don't think you'd be docked points for a first offense, but if your yeah. fans are continually being racist and you did nothing about it, then you might, yeah, your club might become liable yeah, but, but, in the stadium. But enforcing this, uh, this stadium ban that's not done by the clubs themselves, but by the by the people yeah. who are football association, yeah, yeah, by the football association. So, yeah. um, um, for, from a, I think it's it makes sense, but if you really think it through, then I don't think it will actually help. But I think they, if if they um, if they're able to identify the individuals and uh, prosecute them, that's the better way to go. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think so as well on yeah. an individual basis. Yeah, yeah, and it came after a weekend when two amateur matches were stopped because of racist incidents on the field, and of course the issue has been the focus of attention ever since Excelsior's Ahmad Mendes Moreira was abused by Dumbos fans the previous weekend. And the referee stopped the game for 10 minutes, um, which shows actually what an impact it really has when the referee actually stops the game. Yeah. In the past, referees are reluctant to do it, but it seems that's been the watershed moment. And then, of course, we had Marco van Basten. <laughs> uh, we shouldn't uh, leave him out of this, uh, who caused a storm of off-hair in Germany for shouting Sieg Heil on television. Uh, and this was after an interview uh, was given with uh, Frank Wormuth, the German oh. manager of Heracles Almelo. Oh, it was on German television? No, 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 it was on Dutch television. Oh, okay. But there was an interview in German uh, ah. by von Basten's colleague Hans Kreier Junior. And at the end of it, von Basten thought it would be fun. He, oh. he, he thought uh, he was so amused by Hans Kreier's uh, attempt to speak German, he shouted, <laughs> see Kyle. Okay. But yeah, of course, yeah. uh, that didn't go down very well yeah, um, at all. Not in Germany. Especially not in Germany, when no. the Germans picked it up. Uh, van Basten did apologise in the studio at the time, but uh, Germany's built Zeitung didn't see the funny side. Uh, called the episode mm. a scandal, and Van Basten phoned Wormuth in the middle of the night to apologise in person. Ah, okay. So. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, there was also a photo of Marco Van Basten this earlier this week. He, uh, I think, a book or something came out, and he was signing uh, his biography. And someone commented, <laughs> "You must, re- you must get a stiff uh, right arm from uh, from writing." <laughs> 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 Someone also uh, changes Wikipedia page to to, to uh, add Adolf as his middle name. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And uh, we also had a um, suggestion from one of our listeners. Yes, um, we had a listener's request from uh, Bruce Pennell. Yeah. Uh, to be asked to uh, if we'd mentioned the recent success of the Dutch cricket team. Um, so well, you ask, we deliver. Uh, yeah. The Netherlands won the T20 World Cup qualifying tournament earlier this month and has thereby qualified for next year's World Cup uh, finals. They beat Papua New Guinea in their final group game, and PNG were the strongest opponents. They finished second in the rankings, and they will also compete in the tournament, which is next October in Australia. Hmm. The Dutch won by seven wickets. They reached their target of 129 with an over to spare. Ben Cooper hit 41 runs from 33 balls to set up the victory, and Captain Peter Saylor said afterwards, the last two times we shared the trophy with Ireland and Scotland, and I think deservedly now, we're holding the trophy by ourselves. They shared the trophy... Well, it, it, it's a group tournament, so sometimes oh. if, teams, if two teams finish level on points, they share the trophy. 
I really feel like Molly right now. I have no <laughs> idea what all these words meant. No, it's cricket. Don't worry about it. Oh, uh, okay. This is a short version of cricket. You don't have to sit there for five days like uh, drinking tea to, to appreciate it. Okay. The Dutch will play their first round group against Bangladesh, Namibia and Scotland. So, good luck to them. I still have no <laughs> idea what it all meant. Um, uh, and, uh, and and the top girl, what 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 will happen with them? The, the top, top two teams two, go what through to what's them? called the Super Twelves, which is when the the good teams join in, oh, the, the, okay. the professional teams. Okay, <laughs> cricket is the nation's league of yeah. uh, of, of sports. Of sports, yeah. indeed. Yeah, <laughs> I will uh, I will try to um, uh, search for a YouTube video with, with a one on one one on one on uh, on cricket and try to uh, yeah try uh, and work out what it's all try about. Try to work out what there's it's a good tea towel about it, which I'll try and get you for Christmas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People who allow their cats to roam outdoors are actually breaking EU rules on nature protection, Trouw newspaper reported this week. A paper by Ari Trouwborst, which is, I think, one of the yes. Dutch names yes, that should for money. Be added to the list. Yeah. Should be added on the list. Uh, he is an environmental law professor at Tilburg University, and he argues that the domestic cat, or Felix Catus, is posing a serious threat to around 370 <laughs> other animal species in the Netherlands. I like the fact that the Latin name for cat is Felix Catus. Yeah. I didn't know that. It sounds like what Thierry Baudet would call his cat. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. If he has a cat. I will, I will try to find out if he has a cat and if it's named like this. I'm sure it is. Uh, under the European Bird and Habitat Directives, countries have a legal obligation to protect wildlife. Allowing cats to roam and kill, for example, little birds, is illegal, the researchers say. An estimated 140 million animals, ranging from birds to bats and from reptiles to fish, are thought to be killed annually by cats in the Netherlands. Half of the killings are carried out by cats with owners. The Netherlands is home to between 2 and 3 million cats. So Whoa. leaving all these animals, uh, all these yeah. cats outside, it basically means that all the other animals are killed. Yes, yeah, so, so cats are basically a, a, a voracious predator and a terrible, cause terrible environmental Indeed. damage. Even worse than stick stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so how serious is this uh, uh, well, uh, an issue, actually? Uh, apparently the researchers are very serious. They even told Trau newspaper that they believe that if someone would take the Dutch government to court for neglecting its duty, to wildlife, there is a good chance of winning this court mm. case. They also said cats do damage to wildlife even without killing because they cause stress to birds, uh, which will then have fewer young and transfer diseases. It may not be people's intention to harm wildlife, but that is what they are doing when they are opening the cat flap, and it's happening on a large scale. Which, yeah, if there are two to three million cats, mm. then indeed it's a very large scale. It's mass slaughter. Yeah. yeah. Um, the researchers pointed out that uh, the cat is the only animal that leaves the house on its own and that it should be kept indoors or within the confines of a garden. The legal conclusion is watertight. They say uh, the environmental damage is too great to continue to make a legal exception for the domestic cat. However, the European Commission does not appear to be impressed. The Dutch EU Bureau said on Twitter that the Commission will not be asking cat owners to keep their pets on a lead. According to our information, cats are not the biggest threat to biodiversity, the statement said. Yeah. But the headlines really... Uh, if this if if this article would come out in the period before the Brexit referendum, for example, mm. it said the EU bans cats, yes. something like that. Yeah. And it really you really think what is the EU doing now again? You know. Yeah. But if you read it more closely, then it's actually a group of researchers who suggest that yeah. uh, this is actually it's the case. Crazy EU law, yeah. But uh, yeah, it is a very. Um, Make it easier for you frame it that way, and of course, given what's happened with the stick stuff, where the yeah the courts have moved into enforce European law, and that's had very big consequences. It's not inconceivable to say 
the pate for the dieren starts to court yeah. case, that the court like, or the rap and starter might well come out and say, yeah. yes, yeah. you've got to keep your cats inside. Yeah, according to the yeah. researchers, that's a, there's a very good chance of that. So, yeah, yeah hopefully nobody will uh, will do this. <laughs> no, but, but they have said categorically there will be no ban on cats. Categorically? Uh, categorically, yes. Good. Categorically. <laughs> I didn't even realise I'd said that. No, I did. We'll be discussing the investigation into the death of Ivana Smith in Malaysia after this word from our sponsors. Hey you. Yes, you listening to this podcast for free. We're really glad you like all of our Alpef coverage and our dick lawyer jokes, but it costs money to bring them to your ears. If you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work that we do, you can now back us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to donate. We will give a shout out to all of our backers on the podcast. If you donate 50 euros, Gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender strope waffles. For 75 euros, I will suffer through one entire football match. For the low, low price of only 100 euros, Paul will vote for the Socialist Party in the next election. So please, go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to support us and to keep Truby fed. His dog food is extremely expensive. Police in Malaysia have confirmed they're treating the death of a Dutch teenager who fell from a 20th floor balcony as murder. Ivana Smith was naked when her body was found beneath a tower block in the capital Kuala Lumpur in December 2017. Police initially concluded her death was an accident, but this week, after two years of campaigning by Ivana's family, they appointed a special investigation team to look into the events again. Her father, Marcel, has said he made a pledge at his daughter's graveside not to rest until the truth came to light. Okay, so uh, what do we know about uh, what happened to Ivana Smith? She was a model who was uh, living in the Malaysian capital uh, and uh, went home with an American couple after a night out in uh, December 2017. The last picture of her was a selfie she sent to her boyfriend at around half past seven in the morning. She's then thought to have fallen to her death sometime around 10 o'clock. It's all quite shady. And when she fell, she landed on a kind of sixth or seventh floor roof, which is why she wasn't noticed for a while. Straight away, there were suspicions of foul play. Um, Marcel Smith said he'd spoken to neighbours who heard shouting and arguing around the time uh, when he went out to Malaysia straight afterwards. But the couple involved, Alex and Luna Johnson, didn't call the police until three o'clock in the afternoon, which is about five hours after she's thought to have died. And her father also said he saw blue marks on her body resembling fingerprints around her neck when he went to identify her. So uh, they had a party during the night. Yeah. Uh, then she fell from the balcony at 10 a.m. when the other mm-hmm. couple were asleep, or at least that's what they claimed. That's what they said, yes. Um, and then she was found on in at 3 p.m. Yeah, uh, yes. So the police didn't come until 3 p.m. when uh, she was found on the balcony. And the police was called by the couple? No, the couple called the police, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so, so straight away there were questions about why it had taken so long and why they didn't notice... That she um, was that, gone. That, that she was gone, yeah. Um, but they, they said in an interview they gave uh, some time later that uh, they, they thought she'd left for a modelling uh, job. So there was a... Um, this all went to court. Uh, mm-hmm. And what did the court rule? There was an inquest in March 2018, so four months afterwards, and uh, there they concluded that uh, Ivana's death was indeed an accident, basically because they couldn't find any sufficient proof that uh, that she'd been deliberately killed. So there were traces of, they also noticed there were traces of alcohol, ecstasy and amphetamines in her body uh, and a Malaysian pathologist said she was still alive when she fell. But that was directly contradicted by a Dutch pathologist, Frank de Goot, who found evidence of injuries that weren't caused by the fall. He also noticed there was very little blood staining at the spot where she landed, which oh. would indicate that her blood wasn't circulating. Yeah. And uh, they noticed that the position she was lying in was, was, was quite unusual because she was lying as if, almost as if she'd been placed there with her hands over her chest. 
Then, in August last year, the original pathologist retracted part of her testimony in court and um, said uh, she wanted to direct any questions that involved opinions to a colleague. So that was Oh, startling. so she stepped away from the investigation. Yeah. She, she basically said that all the judgments she'd made in the past that uh, about whether or not it was deliberate, um, you know, whether she, she died accidentally or not, she basically withdrew those conclusions. Yeah, so there are a lot of questions about the investigation itself as yeah. well. Yeah, um, So what did the family of Ivana do then? They put up a $50,000 reward for information that would lead to the arrest of the person responsible. Uh, they also called in a British detective, uh, Mark Williams Thomas, who's now a journalist and documentary maker, and he's been involved in a number of high-profile cases in the UK, like the disappearance of the toddler Madeleine McCann. Oh, which is solved very, uh, very well. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, uh, yes, yeah, so we, we looked into it again and made a, made a documentary. He reviewed the evidence, and he said there was no doubt in his mind that uh, the case would have been treated as a homicide investigation if it had happened in Britain. So there was enough evidence to at least yeah, in, investigate it as a, as a murder case. Yeah, because the police in Malaysia didn't even investigate it no. as, a, as, a, as a homicide. No, basically mm. they sort of concluded early on that they were, they were treated as an accident in the absence of evidence that it was uh, it was a homicide. Okay. Uh, so what do we know about this American couple that was living in uh, in Malaysia? So uh, Alice Johnson is uh, 46 and his, his wife Luna, who is uh, I think in her mid-30s, uh, he's a Bitcoin investor. Uh, oh. There's varying reports about how much uh, actual money he's worth, but he's often described as a millionaire. Although when they gave an interview in uh, a day in, in June, um, they, they, they had some very um, low-budget furniture yeah. in their new house in Miami, where they now live. And they, um, they, they placed IKEA furniture in the room where yes. this interview was conducted to sort of emphasise that they were not the millionaires. That, Indeed, um, they said quite that they were not yeah. millionaires. They denied having anything to do with Ivana's death. Um, the accusation against them has been that they gave her an overdose um, during a night of sex and drugs and then uh, threw her body over the balcony. And they deny all of that. They do admit that they had sex with her, um, that there was a kind of sex party in their house um, during, which went on into the early hours, and that she'd been drinking and taking drugs, but they said they didn't take any drugs themselves and they didn't know she was dead until they woke up in the mid-afternoon. They also say that she told them she was 26 years old and not 18, and they'd never have got involved if they knew what her real age was. They were questioned by police after the incident in Malaysia, but as witnesses rather than suspects, and mm. there were some very curious details emerged. For example, Luna was able to call her cleaner from the police station and ask her to go around and clean the flat. She the called time. it from the police station. Yes, she, she phoned the cleaner and asked for her to clean the flat up. And uh, this crime scene, was it already investigated thoroughly? Well, it was a potential crime scene, but uh, whether or not the police had just decided it was not a crime at that point, I don't know. But but she was yeah. able to, to sort of direct her cleaner to... Uh, yes, thoroughly clean. clean the place. Okay. Well, her story was that they wanted to, because they had a six-year-old daughter and the, yeah. and the bedroom was full of sex toys, they said they wanted to, to have it all tidied up before she got home from okay. nursery. So she could have she could have asked the cleaner to lock the, the, the bedroom door. Possibly. Yeah. Mm, yes, <laughs> who knows. Something um, like that. Yeah. And uh, uh, there was more. Yes, and then they left Malaysia soon after Ivana's death, and they now live in Miami. And there was all sort of insinuations that perhaps they bribed the police immediately after the incident, because obviously the police decided quite quickly that there was no foul play. Um, sure. Also, they gave a urine sample, which tested positive for drugs, but then there was a follow-up blood test, which tested negative. Again, of course, they vehemently denied all of these claims. Yeah, th this is very possible, of <laughs> course, because you know you have these um, very easy, very cheap uh, uh, tests, which you use to sort of narrow down the possibility if you are 
if you indeed had drugs yeah. in your blood or not. And then uh, if that turns out to be positive, then you do the more expensive, the more, uh, the more thorough, more, more accurate, thorough, accurate yeah. Uh, yeah. test, of course. So th that is very, That's very possible, possible of yes. course. Yeah. Uh, and what is going to happen now? So now the case is being reopened because the appeal court overturned the original verdict of accidental death. And then the police have um, been ordered to investigate again. They set up a special investigation team. They will re-interview key witnesses in the case. However, it's unlikely that the Johnsons are going to cooperate with the inquiry because, of course, they're now in America. Yeah, so they don't have to, of no, course. No, they don't yeah. have to. Ivana's family are also suing the Johnsons in the U.S. courts oh. uh, to hold them responsible um, and okay. get compensation. Hmm. Uh, because you know, that's one of the, if they don't cooperate with the Malaysian inquiry, then that's the only avenue they have available. Yeah. And because it's in America and every case of litigation becomes a case of victimhood Olympics, the Johnsons are counter-suing the Smith family for libel. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, oh. They say they are the innocent victims of a smear campaign and they're also suing Mark Williams Thomas. Uh, they claim he falsified evidence because he wanted to sex up his documentary. Oh, uh, yeah. To be honest, if they have nothing to do with her death, then uh, I think they probably have a good get because the family of Ivana, they, they, they immediately after her death, uh, uh, went to the media and talked about this American couple. And if, in the event that they really don't have anything to do with the death of Ivana, then, of course, they have a point that this is a smear campaign. But yeah. in this interview that you mentioned in the AD, they never even mentioned that they felt really sorry for no. Ivana and her family, even though she died in her apartment. I mean, if you if you have a person that dies in your apartment, then, of course, you, I, I yeah. think you sh you're going to have to, a, a completely you different would be reaction. Enormously shaking, but that's the thing that, that's the thing that really came across when I read it. it was the, the, yeah, they said it was a terrible situation for her family, but that was kind of it. Yeah. And you think if something like that happened in your house, even if you had nothing to do with it and you're generally innocent, you would be really shaken, you know, yeah. and you'd, you, you would... You would Surely go around and uh, maybe not, you know, remorse is not appropriate, but some kind of regret of if only, you know, we paid close attention to her, you know, yeah. you, you, we would genuinely, I think, any, any person you like think, yeah. ask some questions of yourself, you yeah. know, even if you weren't actually culpable in any way. They seem to be very offensive. This is, uh, yeah, yeah, and very very offended about the fact that Ivana's family were, were upset about what has happened. And they seem to have no very, very little sympathy for them and, uh, you know, it seemed to be more concerned about the fact that they were the victims in, the, in this scenario, which struck me as very odd. Um, yeah. Only they really know what happened in the apartment yeah, on, that night, on that morning. So you Yeah, know. and also it's very unfortunate that the Malaysian police um, didn't do their job very properly. They yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah the and because now they reopen the inquiry, but it's four years later. And there's still know, a lot of questions. No, for the, no forensic evidence. Yeah, yeah, what, are yeah. you gonna, what are you going to find? Yeah, it's not really, really not looking good for the family of Ivana. They will probably never know the exact truth. Yes, I suppose. I mean, the only thing is they t they're taking a civil action in the U.S., so the, s the standard of proof is lower. So that may yield something. On the other hand, of course, there's the, the, there's now a lawsuit against them as well. So it's going to be a very, I think, long and difficult process for them. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in any case, you know, it's a dreadful thing to happen, and our sympathies are with them. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can now also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, not to Molly Quell, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week.